This episode of Imprint Cast includes discussions of adult themes that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to episode number 36 of Imprint Cast, the podcast dedicated to the Australian boutique label Imprint Films. My name is Tony Meaches and I would usually have my partner and colleague John Matthews with, but he is still on break for the time being, but he will be back on the next episode. But joining me are two lovely ladies who I am proud to call members of the Imprint Cast family. First up is our regular colleague Suzanne. Suzanne, how are you going? Hello, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me back. More than welcome. I love having you on every single time. And joining us is another regular colleague, who I am proud to call a member of our Imprint Cast family as well, is from the Super Network, Super Marcy. Marcy, how are you going today? And thank you for joining in. Hey, I'm doing really well. And thank you so much for this, Tony. It's always a pleasure to be on Imprint Cast and talk about an imprint release. Indeed. And now for this episode, I have to say it is a special one because it is Imprint Cast's first collaborative episode with the podcast After Dark with Super Marcy from the Super Network. Marcy, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for being a part of this collaborative journey with you. Yeah, thank you so much for the idea in the first place. Uh, I really look forward to not only discussing the film that we'll be talking about, but also the really wonderful release that Imprint did for it as well. Absolutely. It's a great release. This release that we'll be discussing is imprint release number 146, Ken Russell's Hall. Do you think what I do is wrong? Have you ever wondered? What's your name? Liz, you want a date? What it would be like? I know what they want. Maybe it's time you found out. Teresa Russell. I used to love sex. Let me be your fantasy. In a Ken Russell film. Let me be your fantasy. If you're afraid to say it, just see it. See you in church, honey. I have been wanting to do this episode the moment Hall was announced from Imprint. I have never seen this film since its VHS days. I was 12 or 13 years old when I first saw Hall. And I know that tells you what kind of a deranged child I am. But um, but honestly, I saw this film on VHS and I really enjoyed it. Even at 12 or 13 years old, even though it was it is an R18 plus film at sort of that age. I know I'm crazy. And um, and of course for this episode, having having it as a collaborative episode with with Marcy for After Dark, it means the world. Because but please note in this episode there is going to be 
a mention of another Ken Russell film that we have discussed called Crimes of Passion. This is this is a major part of the After Dark episode. So if you would like to hear the whole discussion of both films, Crimes of Passion and Whore, please listen to the After Dark podcast from the Super Network. But because this is imprint cast, of course, we will only be discussing segments of Whore, which of course will have some moments of Crimes of Passion, but the main focus here is Whore. So Marcy, when did you first see the movie Whore? So in, in my younger years, I did see Pretty Woman. One could argue I was perhaps too young, but actually that was a tamer film back in those days for me. But even back then, I felt that the film really glamorised the sex work profession, but also used it as a Cinderella-style story. And yes, films can be pure fantasy, but it didn't really play that up so much but then I saw Whore a few years later and I was still as uh, mentioned in in speaking about Ken Russell earlier I did see this when I was a young teenager but yeah seeing Whore uh, it felt like it was a more honest and provided a much more genuine side to what sex workers went through back in that time or we could even say today or forever. Rewatching the film now and thanks of course to the imprint release it has so much more to say than just a night in the life of a sex worker. It really dies into the way women are treated by men, by society, and the narration, I guess, of Teresa Russell's Liz throughout the film, which, you know, is told directly towards the audience, I felt really hit some truths. And as I was watching this, I realised how what she has to say in the film just really holds up. That there are people who haven't changed still have these ideals that they're entitled to someone, but also just solely focused on themselves. And it frightens me how the words that she spoke have been said to me or some of the things have been experienced by me in life from men. Almost frightening that whore from the beginning was based on real lived experiences from women and specifically sex workers and that lived experience is still something that women go through and in that respect I feel like whore does have a timeless feel to it the relevance is still there and I do think it's an important film. Whore isn't the usual you might see from Ken Russell, it's not as grand with sets and designs as some of his other films and it is a bit muted in some ways, but it still feels like a Ken Russell film. Crimes of Passion and Horror may be quite different films, but there's a lot of similarities that you notice watching them back to back and it's quite intriguing. Before I finish up just my initial thoughts and how I first saw the film, I just want to mention uh, Teresa Russell's performance. I, I really liked her a lot as Liz and I felt like every part of that performance had a purpose and there are times where and I've seen this in some reviews that she overdoes it or it's over the top, but I felt that it worked for the character and the story. It might not be a perfect film, but it really hits some important notes. And I, it is a film that is certainly worth dissecting and being discussed, which is you know, another reason I'm really glad that Imprint does, you know, release films like Horror that may not have been very 
seen very much or didn't really get much of a release and it's a really great opportunity to see these films or rediscover films like this so yeah Suzanne uh give us some of your thoughts about horror I agree I'm really happy that imprint released this film it's been lost for quite a long time as you said Tony it it was back in the video days it was around in video stores I don't believe it had a proper DVD release um, missing in action as with crimes of passion a misunderstood film as I mentioned when we we're talking about crimes of passion because maybe as a society uh, we're not ready to have some of these conversations because it has a lot to say so I'm glad that imprint is bold enough to release these important yet maligned and misunderstood films because they are important um, and this is an important film. I can't remember when I first saw it. must have been on video. I couldn't really remember much about it. I just had this desire to see it again and could never see it again because obviously there was no DVD. And I was originally attracted to it because of the cover. It's so in your face in the video store and you kind of look at it it says whore and you look at it and oh that looks naughty you know I need to see that it's so intriguing and you're curious about it so I finally ended up seeing it and obviously it probably wasn't what I expected and it wasn't what a lot of people expected and the title whore quite confronting and there's so many colourful words in the Eng English language alone to describe women in derogatory terms. And it's an irony that this film's licentious title forces us to confront this and actually say it, even if we don't want to say it or use the word. It's quite cheeky. It also maybe makes us stop and think about how this word has been used throughout history to categorise, disempower and shame women. The cover image, which I mentioned, was, you know, a hot one on the shelves of the video store back in the day. That also has an element of irony to it. Teresa Russell's sexually suggestive pose coupled with the film's title Promises Titillation. And in the age of booming video rentals and video porn and adult section. The films vied for business with these increasingly lurid and suggestive cover images to lure people in and people looking for cheap thrills might have picked up this title only to be confronted by something entirely un unexpected. Instead of titillation, we have to listen to a woman speak about being a sex worker for approximately 90 minutes in a very confronting and often disturbing way. The nameless cover girl or sex object becomes a real person and suddenly has a voice and what she's trying to tell you is not pleasant most of the time. It does have its lighter moments, but overall it's not pleasant. And it actually mocks male sexuality and masculinity, which is really confronting and probably would have, you know, offended some people or people kind of took it in the wrong way, I think. And it's really interesting that we have this film by a male director that manages to do that so eloquently and actually it works so well and that is it's a disturbing message for people obviously it doesn't refer 
to all men, but it holds up a mirror to society and has this very important message. And you mentioned Pretty Woman, Marcy. So Ken Russell apparently made this film as a response to Pretty Woman, the 1990s uh, romantic comedy blockbuster. And Ken's film is certainly the antithesis of director Gary Marshall's light and bubbly take on, as you put it, Cinderella, or even it's a bit of a My Fair Lady story. Yeah. It's often called the inverted commas hooker with a heart of gold tail. But with whore, our Liz swaps the thigh-high heels for some sensible walking shoes and the rich classy guy, inverted commas, in the sports car is her lecherous pimp, not Richard Gere. And he does take her to a fancy French restaurant, though, uh, and Liz even quotes a couple of Julia Roberts' lines from Pretty Woman, but he's like a horrible person who totally uses her up and turns her out. And I love Pretty Woman, but its absurdity is not lost on me and obviously not on Ken Russell either, who responded to the glossy, palatable prostitute with a film based on the real-life accounts of sex workers These accounts were based on playwright David Hines' interactions with sex workers in Britain when he worked as a cab driver. So he wrote that play that you mentioned it was based on. And then his script was Americanised by writer Deborah Dalton, who had also previously done research involving sex work and describes the women as when given the opportunity to tell their stories as pouring their hearts out to her. And this is, in essence, what our main character, Liz, is doing in this film. As I mentioned, Ken Russell seems to take inspiration from art and literature in all his films. And in the case of Poor and Crimes of Passion, they recall the tradition of first-person accounts of prostitution published in the 18th century. These were a trope of sentimental fiction, but also the subject of pamphlets arguing for social or moral reform. The accounts of famous courtesans were also lapped up by the public of the day. While China Blue in Crimes of Passion is more in line with the titillating tales of eroticism and courtesans such as Fanny Hill, Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure by John Cleland in 1748 or The Memoirs of the Celebrated Miss Fanny Murray from 1759. Horsley shares more with the sad tales of the traditional image of the fallen woman. Artist William Hogarth's series of engravings, The Harlot's Progress from 1731, presents the narrative of a young woman tricked into the trade by a ruthless brothel owner, then traces her sad decline from a wealthy man's mistress to common prostitute before she dies of syphilis. This particular narrative has become a trope of the fallen woman story, repeated over and over in art, literature and film. And Kat Ellinger gives a really wonderful talk on this particular tradition of literature in the bonus features. I'm just looking at the disc now. Her feature is Legitimate and Illegitimate Women in Ken Russell's Whore, video essay by author-critic Kat Ellinger. So I highly recommend 
checking that out because it gives a fantastic background to these kinds of stories and these kinds of stories have been told uh, maybe for longer than we expect. In Les Miserables in 1862, Victor Hugo offers us a sympathetic account of Fontaine's demise from beautiful young lady to bald, toothless streetwalker. This work highlighted the important social issues in regards to the poor. Liz's tale in Horse certainly follows the narrative of the harlot's progress and is reminiscent of the shocking reality of Fontaine in Les Miserables. It also highlights similar social issues that Victor Hugo wrote about, such as a link between an unjust class divide, poverty and abuse, and it's disturbing that, like Victor Hugo, Ken Russell highlights the need for reform in education, the criminal justice system, and the treatment of women over 129 years later. However, what may have troubled audiences about both whore and crimes of passion is that these stories lack the element of shame or repentance, and there's somehow the idea that women who transgress traditional moral society must be apologetic or ashamed. Instead, both of our characters are unashamed. They take control of their own narratives. They own them and they take this power back. Additionally, not relegating them to merely this state of victimhood, which we sometimes do in the news or in certain films and stories. So equally, what is so powerful about this film is how we've already mentioned. This film is the true account of uh, sex workers, often in their own words, which gives them a voice and allows this demographic of women usually ignored to tell their own story. It's holding a mirror up to society and how we treat some of our most vulnerable people in terms of socially ingrained misogyny, entitlement to women's bodies, which you mentioned, Marcy, violence against women, and then in terms of the justice system and the social structures, which openly persecute and discriminate against sex workers and against some women, while also denying justice for acts of violence, which they're the victims of. And obviously men are victims of violence too, and they face these kind of all these other elements of violence in society that are different. But in this case, this is an entirely uh, female story, although we do see uh, you know, a lot of homeless men, you know, in the background. So this world is kind of inhabited by all these homeless men and people down on their lark and shows this side of society that most people ignore or don't want to mm. look at or they don't go to these places. Um, so, yeah. And Liz is usually pictured in this almost empty urban world She's often seen, and you mentioned, Marcy, how it's muted and a bit stark. It's not doesn't have the decadence of the usual kind of Ken Russell fare, and I think that's entirely deliberate. Yeah. It's still quite stylized. Mm. There's still colour in there. But, yeah, she is in this very stark, 
grey, open urban world, there's a lot of concrete, man-made structures. She's often seen looking in windows at people into the hotel. She's looking into shops at furniture. And this emphasises the isolation of her life and marks her as the other, like China Blue. She's shown in this separate space from moral society and traditional values, which is, of course, the home unit, suburbia, churches. She exists in this other place, separate. And this enforces the discrimination and prejudice that many sex workers face, often working outside the law due to sex work being illegal in many places, lacking basic legal or workers' rights and benefits, often denied basic things by institutions like even bank accounts, loans, you know, FPOS, credit card facilities, square payments, whatever, all that kind of thing. And then they're also often denied justice when they do face harassment or violence. So recently in the news here in Australia, we've had articles about sex workers, so uh, people doing, I guess, webcam kind of things and all different kinds of sex work Mm. being denied Mm. uh, financial rights. So being unable to use PayPal, being unable to be granted credit card facilities, and there's very few financial institutions that will facilitate, you know, any kind of payments or transactions for sex workers because it's linked traditionally um, with crime or this and that or whatever, but it really, really disadvantages women that do this. Mm. And uh, they can only use certain institutions, which are super high fees, really kind of difficult to navigate. Uh, Tax is an issue. We see again and again this kind of class of women, okay, I'm going to say men as well here, but sex workers in general facing all these things. And when so people perpetrate violence against them and it's going unchecked until the perpetrators of this violence commit violence against the average citizen, you know, the rich white girl, Um, the you know the middle class guy whatever and they start looking back at people that have committed these horrible crimes and there has been a pattern of abuse of sex workers and these really vulnerable people Um, yet it's gone completely unchecked and these people have gone unchecked and been able to keep committing crimes and escalate so it raises a lot of interesting issues. And like you said, it's no, yeah, it's no um, kind of mistake that she is in this very empty, stark space. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it it does, in, in its way, have a lot to say about sex work. And, you know, specifically when we get to towards the end of the film where she's having the conversation with, uh, sorry, I can't remember the character's name, the, like, Rasta uh, character that she 
comes along, uh, not comes along, she comes across uh, several times played by Antonio Fargus. And, you know, he, well, they both kind of discuss like, you know, if this was legal, you wouldn't need a pimp. You wouldn't be in danger from this stuff. And it has so much to say. It's like, it's known as the world's oldest profession. Like, why is this still so highly illegal? So taboo? Why do we allow something like pimps to function who literally just exploit and are violent to their workers? Uh, I'm not saying that for every single thing out there, uh, maybe there's one good pimp, I don't know. But it does have a lot to say about this and the, the stigma around uh, sex work. And, uh, you know, uh, even though this film being made what it was, it, uh, as I mentioned, there's a timelessness to it, but you can certainly add uh, parts of um, what you brought up with uh, being a sex worker, if you're doing it in person, online, it, it still very difficult you can't access the simple things to get paid and you need to rely on another service who will fee you and it's uh, you're less and less trying to make a living and paying every other person for it she's in the empty world the only place that she um kind of really is at home not at home accepted is in the uh strip club Mm. So she's the only time she's really surrounded by lots of people is in the strip club where she goes for her martini or whatever she drinks. So that again enforces this, you know, being kind of just locked Mm. in this world with other people in the same industry. And it's interesting in that club, we also see, um, I think it's Stephanie Blake. I believe she's the stripper. I could be wrong. Maybe Tony knows, but um, she crossed over into mainstream film, but she was um, Miss Exotic World. I believe she was a burlesque dancer. Maybe someone can fill us in more on her career. Sorry, totally unprepared. But we also see in the film uh, Ginger Lynn, who was a famous adult star in the 80s and 70s, 80s, part of the 90s. There was a real boom when some of these adult actresses became real stars, but they had a real prejudice in when they tried to cross over into mainstream film and they found it extremely difficult. So it's interesting that Ken gave her a very, you know, this little role in the film. Mm. Uh, Tony. Uh, you are right, Suzanne. That was Stephanie Blake, who was the um, stripper, who was the, the sex worker who was doing the dancing on the in the strip club. And, yes, I it is, it is very strange now how, because of with today's economy, dollars going down, it's, it's, it's crazy, it, it, and it's hard to earn a living now. It's literally, it's, you have to do something on the side to do it. Like, of course, nowadays, most recently, as everybody knows who's listening there are other there are now online services you know like um, OnlyFans or whatever you want to call it and they 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 have to make a living themselves you know it, it is difficult out there this world now economy crises and everything it is hard work but but yeah it is very strange that now that now that these new laws you know they're not allowed to get all these you know these these um, services you know, like credit cards as you said Suzanne earlier it's outrageous 
How people I think it's I think it's always been like this though, and the excuse is that oh, you know, it's money laundering or linked to crime, right, well, or whatever. But it has been in the news recently that there needs to be some kind of reform or change to protect hmm. these workers. Absolutely. Um, obviously, men as well as women. There's yeah, all yeah. kinds of people in sex work and. With both Crimes of Passion and Whore, we see different sides of this kind of sex work Mm. as well. So Crimes of Passion, as I mentioned when we were discussing that, is um, definitely has this kind of female sex positivity to it and this modern idea of feminism and feminist thought that sex work has the potential to be empowering uh, and aid women's independence, etc. that they have the choice and right to decide. And we see that China Blue in Crimes of Passion has more autonomy. It's maybe, generally speaking, a more positive experience for her, a more empowering experience, whereas we see the total opposite in Whore. So it shows all the different kind of levels of this kind of work. So... For some people, it can be empowering. It can facilitate independence. They like the work. But then we have this really terrible experience showed to us in whore. Yes. And it's an experience that says a lot about society and the way that she is treated because she is vulnerable. Society in general, absolutely. But like one sequence in particular, which I will mention now, um, in Hall, that actually shows how what what people think of um, sex workers. Like there was a sequence in the movie where there where there is a scene that's outside the cinema, and um, the ginger ginger Lynn, who plays, as you said, plays a little role in the film, was brutally stabbed, and mm. and of course. Um, Liz wanted to help her out. Like, what could she do? Like, and she all she could think of was rushing to the inside the cinema bath, inside the cinema to go to the bathroom to help her wounds. And then, of course, the the box office girl just calls the manager, and then the manager comes into the store, into the bathroom, and just and goes, "What are you doing here? How dare you!" And then she sees the blood, and then instead of helping her out, instead of helping her, calling the police or something, the manager actually has the grab some kind of I think she's wearing gloves I don't remember or grabs another set of um, tissues picking up the blood off the picking up the bloody towels off the floor and putting them in the bin just in case some um, patrons and all that will catch the virus I'm not you know the AIDS virus and I just thought what the hell it is it is actually quite extreme how sex workers are were treated back then and unfortunately I hate to say it which are treated right now it's just a job you know Someone has to earn a living, but also with um with sex workers, it can also be um it, it is also another form of income. You know, like um mm. I know I know a few I know a few sex workers, not personally, but I know some from what I've read also have unfortunate habits to support. You know, like um heroin addiction and other drug addiction, and um and of course their pimps being with them and. Obviously, they don't give a shit about them. All they care about is their money and their um, and just some um, supplying the business. But it does, unfortunately, that does happen. But in, like as we, as near the end of the movie, as we discuss, as you mentioned earlier, with um the pimp. I gotta say, seeing that pimp played by Benjamin Mouton, he was probably one of the most vicious pimps I've ever seen on film. Oh. You're not wrong. Like he has this facade of being nice. 
yeah. that he's the scum of the earth. And I'm not going to lie, I've met many, uh, I'm not just going to say men. Um, yeah. I'm just going to say I've met many people who that reminds me of, where they have this facade, oh, I'm a lovely person, but then the second you get anywhere in there, they are absolutely horrible and they're not, they don't treat you well. And yeah. uh, it, look, it, you get those kind of vibes from someone, do not associate with them or go to somebody you trust to get you away from that. Um, it's such a stark reminder that, uh, yeah, this guy's a pimp, but let's just be fair. There are people that don't need to be a pimp to be this kind of scummy and disgusting towards other people. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a real slime ball. And that's why I love the contrast to Pretty Woman. Like, there's mm. that humour in that, that he's the guy in the suit in the sports car, but he's the pimp. He's not like the handsome Richard Gere. Mm. No. And her, her hero at the end, her knight in shining armour, turns out to be the homeless crackhead guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he... He saves her, or at least for a little while, because we never really know mm. what happens to her. And it's one of those interesting films where at the end you are left thinking what happens to her because you mm. become quite invested in this character. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it is interesting that, you know, she is kind of saved by the person you probably wouldn't expect it. But I think that subverts... Uh, expectations because uh, as you mentioned like you see a lot of homelessness in the film and society as a whole I feel like just tries to ignore that there's these problems and I'm not saying that everybody does that it, it's just you know a lot of people just don't care don't want to know don't want to be invested in it and this film is like you don't know who these people really are that are on the street you don't know their story you should not just ignore them and the fact that through the film they kind of have this friendship because he's not being absolutely fucking horrible to her like every other uh, person she comes across indeed it also shows, I guess, as well, uh, so does Crimes of Passion, these different kinds of sex work. So it shows violence and abuse, shows this very dark side, but we do have these lighter moments where we see that they are helping people as well. So helping people feel connected and, you know, just have a bit of intimacy and human contact. So in Hoare, it's she has the um, elderly gentleman mm. who enjoys a little bit of afternoon domination. That's quite a light-hearted storyline, and that's you know seems like a more positive experience mm. for her. Mm. So it does show us many different sides to this, and yeah. that is one thing people do need human contact and someone to be there for them and often sex workers feel this need when people are very lonely something that people don't like to talk about people with disabilities people that just need to be touched mm. and held or you know anything like that they can be there for them and that's something really important and people really don't like to talk about that but both of these films cover that 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it is one of the lighter parts of the film is when we do see Liz with through the flashbacks with the elderly gentleman who likes his afternoon BDSM sessions. And you can see it's just something that he needs and enjoys. And it's a job that she doesn't mind doing. And she's quite thoughtful in in this job where she brings him an avocado. So it's like a nice memory of not being, uh, you know, in the home that he's in. And things like that really bring a lot of heart to Liz where she's not this awful character that people may think she is just because she's in that profession she is a real person and she's been treated horribly but through that she still managed to have her job and do jobs that were genuinely meaningful to someone so there's there's a lot going on in in this film and um it's again I think it's such an important film because it does open up these uh dialogues of discussion uh and again sex work it's known as the oldest profession where in 2024 why are we still discussing if uh, bits of this should be legal and how you can get paid if you do something online because it is an online world like it's 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 crazy and I could go on about a whole lot of other things that veer away from from the film but again I'm really glad I got to re-watch this with uh, Blu-ray because it does have um, some really good extras that do offer insight as well. Um, Tony, did you have anything uh, more you wanted to add about the film itself? Well, not really because you ladies have, have added it up so well, but the only thing that I will say about the movie is it does open up with one of the most memorable songs I've ever heard. There is a song it's, uh, which is which you can't find anywhere. I've checked, believe me. Oh. And there is a song called um, uh, the song is called "Doing the Bang" by Fascinating Force. Yes, it is definitely one of the most. I'll never forget the first time hearing this song as a kid when I saw Hall. Thought I want to bang her. I thought okay, <laughs> interesting <laughs> lyric. But now, but of course, it's, it's it is a memorable memorable song to for an opening opening credit sequence for the movie but that i can't say i have to say it has a good soundtrack it has a great opening song but all in all Teresa russell gives incredible heartwarming performance in some sequences especially with as you said suzanne with the elderly gentleman who loves his bdsm session and there are some there are some nice moments especially as you said with um with antonio vargas's character who and and liz how they're having a nice conversation but there's also some really shocking moments of course as i mentioned mm. earlier and of course the ending the ending of the movie which has the um liz's last sexual encounter with an, with another elderly gentleman and unfortunately who part who passes away after 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 they're done but then of course the print the pimp comes beats her up, takes his wallet, steals his jewellery when he's dead, and Liz was saying, don't do that, don't do that. And he tries to, and he, and he basically tries to kill her, strangle her to death. And then, of course, Antonio Vargas saved the day, saved her life, of course, which is, which is, which was a nice, which I don't know if I'll call it a happy ending, but 
it's a satisfying, I would say. Mm. It, it does leave things open-ended it because does. you do wonder, like, what happens to her, what happens to the Antonio Vargas character. Yes. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it's a very interesting way that the film kind of concludes with that, you know, customer that she's not all that interested in and she monologues a lot of truths uh, mm-hmm. when she's doing that. And, again... I, I'm thinking in my mind, I, I feel like, you know, modern online dating in the last however long it's been, 15 years, let's just say, yeah. at least in my experience, that there's men on these apps and they kind of treat you like you're a sex worker when you're supposed to be seeing them or it's a date or something. Mm. And uh, things that she says like, oh, they want to hear how good they are, how big it is, all this. I'm like, they really do. And they really treat you like that, except they just lead you on and don't give you the money at the end. And it's just astounding. Yeah. This is just kind of how things are. And again it's it's a film that holds up this mirror and that mirror is still reflecting the same thing like however many years later over 30 years something later well that's why i mentioned the um victor hugo's les miserables that's Mm. uh 19th century and basically had this interest in moral reform and all those things i mentioned and that's Mm. At the time this was made, almost 130 years ago, and we're still grappling with the same things. We've come Mm. a long way, but we've still, you know, got a lot more to do in terms of a fair and equitable society for some people, you know, for some Mm. people that have missed out, basically. Mm. That's very much on point, and it's it's a great one to have a comparison with as well something that yeah is over a hundred and something years old and we're still struggling was there uh, anything else uh, either of you wanted to add about the film before we wrap up the discussion I was gonna say I just admire the razor sharp dialogue in this mm. film so same with crimes of passion razor sharp dialogue mm. it's just a joy to watch the performances The writing is beautiful, it's really engaging, it's really important, it sends this important message that I think affects everyone. So, yeah, thumbs up for whore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, this film is amazing. It is. It brought back so many memories watching it when I was younger. But the bad, but the good thing about this imprint release is it has incredible extras. Of course, an audio commentary by film critics Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Josh Nelson. An art, the interview with Teresa with actress Teresa Russell entitled "Artist." And then there's something called "Dignity," which is an interview with actress Ginger Lynn Allen. Raw. Interview with writer Deborah Dalton, provocateur, an X-rated. This is by X-rated auteur Bruce LaBruce on Ken Russell's Hall, and legitimate and illegitimate women in Ken Russell's Hall. Video essay by author and critic Kat Ellinger. I have seen most of these extras, but I, but I couldn't. I didn't hear all of the commentary, unfortunately, because you know had stuff on. But the interviews with Teresa Russell and Ginger Lynn Allen, they were really good. I really enjoyed them. But to me, the ultimate highlight, and I think you mentioned this is earlier in the episode was the legitimate and illegitimate women in Ken Russell's whore video essay by Kat Ellinger. Discussing the history of prostitution and sex work, it was 
really eye-opener. I loved every minute of that video essay. So, um, Suzanne, what are your favorite? No doubt that was no doubt your favorite extra. Is there any other extras you like from that in this release? It is, and I love that extra by Kat Ellinger because it's all about the um, literature about sex workers and this kind of 18th century first-hand accounts which were popular in literature. Because it's interesting, when I did first watch Whore, that, that came to mind for me, things mm. like Harlot's Progress and Mole Flanders and all these famous classic stories and it's interesting that you know she really elaborates on this link and obviously Ken Russell as I mentioned uh, at the top of the episode about crimes of passion uh, Ken really indulges us with this uh, history of art and literature in his films so he would know about all of this literature all of this art and I think it's no no mistake that both of these films are in that tradition. So that's a fantastic video essay. I also really like the audio commentary by Alexandra, Hella Nicholas and Josh Nelson. That's super interesting. They talk a lot about the film and they open it up in terms of kind of different schools of thought in feminism and this history of kind of feminism and women's liberation and how it viewed sex work and these conflicts, um, you know, in views and things. So that's really interesting in that context. So yeah. I recommend that. That's a really intellectual one to get into. I actually love all the extras on this. I think they're really important in giving this film context and more information. They're great. The, the interview with Teresa Russell is great. Um, she talks about her career and taking on this role, which is really interesting. Uh, I love that they've got an interview with Ginger Lynn. Yeah. Being someone from the sex industry and that she gets an opportunity to talk about this film and her career. I think that's really, really lovely as well. I just think it's a really top set of extras. It's just a fantastic release. It certainly is. Uh, Marcy, what are some of your favourite extras? Yeah, I pretty much checked out everything except the audio commentary, which unfortunately I just didn't uh, manage to fit it in, but it is something I do want to uh, listen to. But I'll just run down uh, just my quick thoughts on uh, the extras. So uh, the interview with Teresa Russell, uh, I don't think I've actually seen much of Teresa Russell outside of the acting performances. So this was the extra I actually wanted to see first because I hadn't really heard her speak or do an interview. Uh, mm. It was definitely interesting to hear her talk about the film uh, the Pretty Woman stuff and you know hearing her say she's proud of this film it's definitely a really good watch uh, just I honestly wish it were you know an hour long <laughs> the interview with Deborah Doughton so I'm I'm always quite fascinated by writers and their stories and Deborah was really good to listen to and there's some interesting insights into like her start uh, her career as well as this film how she got involved with it uh, what she added to the script. Uh, it's interesting to hear about the process, how ending was changed. Um, it does sound like this ending is better than what they had. Um, another one certainly worth checking out. Uh, interview with Ginger Lynn. I mean, it's Ginger Lynn, so it's pretty cool that 
we've got this little interview with her uh, with her small role in the film. Um, she's had an extensive career in the sex work world with pornography and there's a lot of interesting stories and I guess if you if you know you know it's Ginger Lynn it's a very well-known name and uh not related but if you do like Ginger Lynn check out Murder Size which is just a really fun crazy movie that I loved the heck out of and it was so cool to see Ginger Lynn just still acting still doing her thing and I do believe she is still doing like sex work I think she's gone uh, and does online sex sex work as well so that is pretty cool and uh, yeah like you've both said the uh legitimate and illegitimate uh women in ken russell's hall the video essay by kat ellinger um i do always enjoy a video essay and it's so great and wonderful to have one included here and i really appreciate the amount of detail and history included with kat ellinger's essay um it's very intriguing it was very well planned out and i certainly learned a few things and um yeah definitely check this out and um yeah the bruce LaBruce uh speaking about whore uh, i didn't mind this one either uh having different perspectives are always interesting he was a little bit contradictory but then he kind of understands that yeah he kind of, he, he was but yeah i find that interesting but yeah i really would like to uh have a chance to check out the audio commentary as well uh it's so great to have like a bunch of these things on you know on on the release and it's uh, again amazing to have a physical copy of this film indeed i need to watch the commentary again as i said i haven't even heard half of it i gotta do it again because it is a fascinating film and it's definitely one of ken russell's most underrated but mm. um, but really really good film i absolutely adore it now for this episode marcy I know it was a collaborative effort and I am so grateful. It was a great collaboration to say the least. To say the least. (laughs) Now this episode does include some discussion with crimes of passion, but as I said earlier in the episode, but I will repeat it again here to hear the full discussion of both Ken Russell's films, crimes of passion and hall. Listen to the after dark podcast with super Marcy on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Because it is a damn good show. And After Dark with Super Marcy, and of course, every other show that we've been involved with in the Super Network, can't go wrong. And Marcy, thank you once again for the opportunity. Uh, Yeah, no, thank you as well. It's been awesome to have a very cool uh, collaboration, especially with a film that I think, you know, more people should see and talk about as well. Absolutely. Indeed. Now, Marcy, where can people find you on social media? You can find uh, me at After Dark and Super Network at the following locations. So uh, After Dark with Super Marcy can be found on all your podcast streaming platforms. And if you do look up After Dark with Super Marcy, you can find uh, ways to follow on uh, Twitter slash X, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, So it is there every with so you can show your support that way and uh, you can find the super network at supermarcy.com 
uh, have all the other podcasts over there. So looking up the Super Network, you'll pretty much be able to find uh, the podcasts that we do. And of course, me personally, I am generally under Super Marcy on all the socials, with the exception of Letterboxd, where it is Super underscore Marcy. And you can always uh, see what I'm watching and get hints about uh, what I'll be discussing on future podcasts. And uh, Tony. Yes, um, you can find me on um, the Imprint Films Blu-ray Collection fans group and Imprint Cast Facebook pages on Facebook, of course. And you can follow me on Instagram under FilmMart79 and Letterboxd under FilmMart79. And yes, Marcy, you're right. We do get hints of what you watch. And I just can't wait to hear the episodes and what I I see. Thank you. Thank you. And Suzanne. Uh, where can people find you if you want them to and where can they find your personal podcast as well thanks for having me it's been great to uh come on to after dark my first one and you can find me on letterboxd under dirty pillows and both of the films we've been talking about today have numerous dirty pillows uh, sorry, that's a carry joke. But anyway, um, you can find me there on Letterboxd. I'm on Instagram under Suzanne Berlin. And you can uh, listen to my podcast, Laudanum and Lace, by visiting laudanumandlace.com and all the links are there. Um, actually, I'd also just quickly like to acknowledge before we go, just in my research for this podcast and just in general, I'd like to acknowledge Scarlet Alliance, which is the Australian Sex Workers Association. So they um, fight for and further the rights of sex workers in Australia to give them fair conditions, uh, justice, equality. Um, They help with legal uh, issues and, yeah, basically try and stamp out discrimination in our society. So if you would like to visit them and see what uh, they talk about, you can visit them at scarletalliance.org.au. They provide lots of really important resources for sex workers in Australia. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And I do encourage uh, people to check that out, especially if you want to learn more uh, or show support. And of course, if you're not in Australia, you can look up and see if there is anything similar in your part of the world. I understand this episode of After Dark has dealt with a lot of themes and things that we do have the warning but it's always good to uh, mention things anyway if anything has been uh, triggering in this episode or besides that if you are dealing with something you know if you're in Australia there is lifeline available the number is 131114 and that they are there to help you I've used them many times and uh, for those around the world there will be something similar to lifeline uh, your best bet is to google it but help is always available and yeah with that I want to thank you both so much again for joining after dark and for collaborating as well with imprint car Now, Marcy, I must thank you for agreeing to do this collaboration. Believe me, it was a great one. Thank you once again, Marcy, and hope you all have a good night. See you later on the next episode. Okay, bye.